David, lovely to see you. Um, nice to see you. Yay, thank you. Uh, I was just looking at um, a bit of your CV. Uh, Multi-award winning filmmaker, producer, director, editor, uh, musician, writer. I mean, you know, <laughs> where, where do we start? My goodness. Um, where are you based? Actually, where are you? Uh, based in Leeds, actually, still. Uh, I would have thought 20 years ago that I would have been in some glorious tropical country, Australia, something like that by now. But now I'm in Leeds, originally from Manchester, but I've lived in Leeds for, for years now. Yeah, I always thought the same. I thought through all my travelling and stuff, one one day I'd just find a place in a, in a lovely, warm, tropical country yeah. and that would be it. But no, I always come home. <laughs> it's weird how it works. I'm in the suburbs, suburbs in uh, Garforth, just outside Leeds, which is a nice place. Like, we like living here. And before lockdown, I'd be all over the place. Um, so it was nice to, you know, still have that travel, still see the world, but mm. to have a nice kind of solid base. But um yeah, uh, I think we'll be here for a little while just yet. The plan is to move abroad at some point. Yeah, I hope you make but that it. That won't be for a while, yeah. Yeah. I, I see also that um, you're a team diver for Fourth Element, among other things. Uh, so do you Yeah, get... that, that they're, game. They're next to me. They're just up the road. So uh... oh, oh, yeah, because they've just moved, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fourth Element were actually kind of really... Um, uh, what's the word, instrumental in, in me kind of being where I am now um, because a little bit of a backstory, I kind of started on this journey where this is, this is what I've always wanted to do is make films about sharks. It's what I've always wanted to do my whole life. Um, and um, I would uh, gone through the process of school and then uh, university, did music, then was a professional musician and then did, as a lot of professional musicians do or people with aspirations to become professional musicians do, they do crappy little jobs that they hate in retail and, and um, call centres, things like that, just to keep the lights on while you're then paying to go on tour and stuff. But I'd always wanted to, to be a filmmaker, making films about sharks. And I'd, when the when the band uh, ended, because we couldn't afford to go on anymore, I had to get a proper job, in inverted commas. Um, and, and that was the idea with that was, right, I'm going to get a proper job and I'm going to uh, uh, make some money so I can actually do these trips so I can start teaching myself how to film underwater. So always getting myself ready for when I was going to make that jump. And the idea, the original idea while I was doing that, I was working on a book, which was going to be about uh, various stories about sharks from around the world. Like each chapter I'd go and, and travel and then tell these stories in a book. Um, and I went to the dive show in 2009, I think it was. And the very, very last people I spoke to at the dive show, because I had a big kind of, like a pitch deck, but it was more proposal, the thick proposal I was giving out, seeing if people would be interested in having with sponsorships. And Fourth Element, and it was uh, Strikey, it was Paul Strike at Fourth Element I spoke to first, and uh, told him the idea, said so it was a sponsorship, he said it'd be a good idea to speak to Jim, Jim would be the best person to speak to. So anyway, Jim and I started talking, and then he was up in Leeds, uh, this would have been 2010, I think. Uh, we said, oh, we'll go out for a drink and have a chat. And he said to me, he said, oh, what you should do is you should make a film instead. I said, well, that's always going to be the plan, was to make a film. The idea was the book was going to come first and then go into filmmaking. So now you should concentrate on doing the film. And, and him saying that sort of gave me that little push. And then they kind of got behind me and like, were putting me out to people. And they, they um, just 
providing like support they gave me like a lot of t-shirts uh, proteus all this kind of stuff but they were really really supportive they were the first people that became kind of super supportive of what i was doing so jim particularly and and, and paul at fourth element were there right at the beginning the very very sort of first people to kind of get behind it and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew um partially because of their involvement so i love fourth element fourth element a brilliant brilliant company great products great people just a really good ethos <laughs> um i hope they watch this <laughs> so, <Me too. laughs> um, so you're self-taught yeah as yeah, a totally, totally self-taught yeah i mean how, how was that journey um it was do you know i've never really sort of looked back and thought on about the process of teaching everything to myself technically because it was um a friend of mine uh, lent me his canon 550d hamish he lent me his canon 550d um this was when i was working on sort of trying to get a shark and man up and running um and i'd, I'd had camcorders before just bait you know your usual sort of uh, high eight camcorder um so i understood about pointing a camera at something and pressing record uh, but I didn't know anything about um, the kind of aperture, shutter speed, anything, and nothing like that in terms of the things that make footage look good. I knew what I liked and I knew what I thought looked good, but I just didn't have the technical uh, know-how on how to actually achieve that. So it literally came from get, borrowing that camera, playing around with it, uh, Google and YouTube, and that was it. And it was a case of learning by doing. So when um, when I went to film of shark and man i'd already had um, a short film um, that i'd done which was originally it's called a ray of light and it was it was originally i was supposed to be on holiday seeing a friend and and had that friend uh brad robertson at the time australian guy living in uh, mallorca with his spanish wife and he wanted to set up a, a little conservation project um because he found a big population of stingrays in the bay of palma and uh, we'd been talking. He said, just come over and visit for a couple of weeks. Come and, come and hang out. And then I ended up taking the camera. And, and it was a case of, oh, okay, well, um, I'll start filming. I'll, start, I'll, I'll make a film about it. Um, and actually, do you know what? I've got that the wrong way around. This is how long ago it was. I went and did a Shark and Man first. So Shark and Man really was my kind of first attempt at filmmaking. When I knew so little about it, and the idea was... Um, put your feet into the fire and put yourself under so much pressure that you can't blow it. That was kind of the idea. I knew the basics, framing, composition, focus, exposure. So, okay, I'll just go from there. So it's progressively over the years, you make mistakes, you learn from the mistakes and then you get better. And then it comes to a point when hopefully you stop making mistakes. But still now, what are we, 10 years into it, still do what everybody else and i guarantee you've done this where you've had this great shot and you've catched it and you've looked down and you've not hit record because you were recording before and then you stopped recording and then that we've all done it everybody's done it so you still that. do those kind of things every now and again <laughs> but um but yeah. those kind of things they're, they're a lot less a lot uh, uh few and far between um so it was just it's just learning by doing and understanding the theories and understanding why you would do something all about storytelling why it's not just big shallow depth of field because it looks cool it's why is that for storytelling and what kind of let's kind of focus are you going for what kind of exposure what kind of lighting 
because obviously, as you'll know, after cameras comes lighting, then you get into the whole world of lighting and what you can do with shaping lighting, things like that. Um, so it's just trial and error, really. Yeah, it, it is indeed. When, you, when you're being self-taught, it is, self, it is um, a lot of trial and error. But of course, then the other half of it, the, the other crucial half of it is editing. Um, yeah. you, you can get the most fantastic shots and you can make an absolute kabunkum of it in the editing room. So how did you get that experience? Because I assume you edit everything yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd, I'd kind of messed around with things before in the past where, as I said, I, I used to be in a band and we had the, I had the camcorder and, and we would f film kind of, I would say almost every show that we did a friend of ours bobby used to come and he used to film everything and then you film all the bits and pieces around it and then new year's eve we film new year's eve all of this kind of stuff we'd always film that and then i'd just edit it together on i think it was magic's movie edit pro 2005 so it's going back a while now and just uh, throwing things together and just kind of trying to make like funny little things and stuff like that just because i had this a huge mountain of tapes of footage that you, you, no one's ever going to want to just sit through and watch that start to finish. So it's just collating bits out of it and trying to put it together in just things that have made me and my friends laugh. Um, so that kind of taught me the basic principles of editing, but I've always liked the concept of storytelling. I've always liked the concept of, um, it sounds terrible, but manipulating people's emotions and feelings. Cause that's what, filmmaking is it's just complete and utter manipulation so what can you do to tell a story in a specific way and the idea is with me was always be genuine and tell the truth but tell that truth in, in uh, as um uh, as an engaging and entertaining way as possible and as part of the editing process particularly with the shark and man the idea was always it's not just the visuals. It's not just putting it together in an order that tells a cohesive story. It's what can we do to get every last drop of um, engagement out of the audience? And such a big part of that was sound. And we created this um, hugely expansive and complex sound design that went with it that took sounds from all over the place and, and created sounds for things that have no sound. Um, to basically create characters and, and my uh, sound design guy, David Laurie. Um, so he works for me now in Scarlet View Media. So basically he, any sound that we need to do, it goes to him and him only composition, sound mixing. Cause he's brilliant. He's brilliant. We just gel really well with it. And we had a lot of fun with that. And, and the editing process always had sound in mind. It was always going to be each species of shark had an, uh, an audio signature. So they all sound different and the depth of the water would sound different. It had a harmonic or melodic kind of tone to it. Um, the, the energy of the dive would sound different. It was sound, sound, sound all the way through. So you could show a gray reef shark, but the idea was, and this was right in the beginning of the edit process, you'd be showing a gray reef shark, but we'd build up the sounds and get the audience connected to these really subtle sounds in the mix so that if they heard that sound, they'd know that a bull shark was coming from behind and we'd have that sound coming from around behind. It's unbelievably complex. And it took, I think, a year to finish the sound design on it. 
And then we spent about two weeks, I think, getting some Foley and then just doing the mix of it. So when it comes to editing, it's always thinking three or four steps ahead of what is going to make this edit just more engaging. Um, and that, again, was a process of learn by doing. You do it, watch it back, take some breathing space, go back and watch it again. That bit's too long. That needs to trim down. Um, so it was trial and error. And the edit for Shark Man took four years. Four years of just doing that. Yeah, excellent. Sounds wonderful. I, I love the editing process. It's 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 so rewarding. I mean, especially yeah. if you haven't managed to get all the footage you want, and you can still create a good story, and uh, it entertains people as well. I mean, that is just so rewarding. And the sound, as you're saying, the sound is such an important part of the film. It's it's the thing that many. Many people just ignore totally. They don't bother with it. It's, um, yeah. We got so obsessive with the sound that um, <clears throat> because with, with a shark command, it's about shark reef and Fiji where they do a shark feed and they feed the sharks frozen tuna heads. So what I wanted was I wanted the sound of the chomp coming in the chomp and the sound of everything to bring it to life. Because you can you hear it underwater and I'd explain what it would sound like. So we want that, but we want to amplify that. We want to make it just make it more and we got so obsessive with it <clears throat> to the point where we got chunks of salmon and we'd freeze the salmon so there'd be smaller ones there'd be bigger ones and so on and so on and we would then defrost the salmon to the point that the salmon would be defrosted when it was in the water so it was never uh, we it was unbelievably obsessive so it'd be salmon it'd be a knife cutting through it then the hands going into it, then sticks. I think there was almonds being ground up with it. There was, what else did we use? There was something else that used it. I can't remember what it was, but uh, if it was a bigger shark with a bigger fish head, we'd use a bigger piece of salmon. If it was a reef shark, we'd use a smaller piece. And it was just obsessive. And there were times when we, I remember being out with him at two o'clock in the morning um, at his house, and his mum was brilliant because he was basically lived between the states and over here and he was over here at the time and he'd live with his mom his mom's got this lovely house in uh, in easingwald and um, she would just we'd go into the, his room there where he had like a temporary studio and his mom would bring us in beers cups of coffee she'd always bake cakes and she loved having us there doing it so we'd be there all night and there's a shot where a big tiger shark comes into the uh, bait box which is a kind of a cast iron bait box He's banging into it and he's mouthing it. And we were outside at two o'clock in the morning on the garage door, pulling the garage door down so he gets that squeak when there's a metal bin and hammers and banging that. And it was just, it was just a really, it was a brilliant time. It was such an invigorating uh, kind of process because the creative juices are flowing. The film, five years of work is almost coming to an end. You're putting the finishing touches to it. What can we do that makes it bigger, that makes it more not necessarily over the top, but like what else can we get out of that footage to really give the viewer uh, an experience? And that was the whole point, give the viewer an experience. So with the editing thing, it's, I think people think editing's clip here, then a clip here, then trim that one clip. But the editing is, it's the storytelling first of all, it's constructing the story in a visual format, and then it's piling everything else in on top uh, to, to finish that off. Um, and like you say about not having the the footage to 
uh, when you've got enough footage and creating a story about that, that's something I do a lot with short films. So I'll be on projects. It might be commercial jobs, or anything. it's usually commercial jobs. And you'll film tons and tons and tons of footage. And then you'll do the commercial, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and then you'll have a lot of footage left. And it's like, right, what can I make out of this? How can I tell some kind of story um, within three or four minutes? And um, it, that always starts with I'm picking the music first and the music dictates the mood of the piece. So I'll pick the music, sit down, visualize it in my head. What can I do? Right, okay, what have I got? What footage have I got? I think I've got enough of this. I think I've got enough of that. Then you go through the banks of footage and then you construct a very simple, basic story in this site. Uh, I did one off a Panasonic commercial. It's called The Cave, which worked really well, which is about the sand tigers at Southwest Rocks in Australia done the arrival about oceanic white tips on uh um elphinston um the hunt about a red snapper and a moray or competing at night for fish at, on the house roof at master shagger things like that so it's just it helps you keep it's like practice it's like you're like an athlete you've got to keep up you know you've got to stay match fit basically for when you're called on and that was my way of kind of, kind of staying match fit for the next time a commercial comes in it's like right okay my editing chops are still up I can go shoot it and come back and put something good together. Yeah, excellent. Oh, goodness. Yeah, as you were talking there about sound creation, it, it just reminded me of the early days when, when I was at um, BBC, because it was film and we'd be out on location somewhere. Well, it's, it was always me as an individual. I never had a team or anything. So mm. there's no sound ever. So the sound always had to be created in the edit room at the point of edit uh, in post-production. And we had, and I forget her name, but we had this wonderful lady who had come, when, when everything was edited, she'd come into the sound booth with like uh, a tea trolley of different materials. And she'd have crisp packets and little little things of mud and, and knocking things. And, and whatever the animals were doing, she would create that sound. It was just fantastic. It's one of the most fun parts of the process. Yes. And the great news is because, as I said, Dave was um, based in Northern California. Now he's back. So for me, it's like, this is really exciting. It's brilliant, right? We need a project so we can come around and do that again. Because um, I always get, like, I always find it funny. I get a kick out of it when you've got this film that's based in the South Pacific, all these tropical sounds, all the, everything that's going on, this really kind of bombastic sound you go okay it's based in Fiji about a shark dives 30 meters under the water in the South Pacific and everything you hear almost well pretty much everything you hear was done in a kitchen in a in Easingwold and that is just kind of that's the magic of it it's just creating things out of nothing um which it just gets uh, that kind of the the energy go just talking about it after like just thinking about uh, a project where you can create because you'll know and everybody that does this kind of job is you need to have that project on the go. You need to have that adventure, that thing to create, that thing to build from scratch that you can dedicate everything into and all your time into building this thing that you create something at the end of it and you can present it to people and put it out in the wild like, like a child, like you bring it up till it's 18 and then you shove it out the door and go, right, go and try not to mess up too much. Do as well as you possibly can. Um, and it's like you're putting it out into the world 
and you're hoping that the world isn't too cruel to this project, like you're hoping the world isn't too cruel to your children. Um, and ultimately, I think when I put something out, the key thing to me is, do I like it? If I like it, that's the most important thing. I hope other people like it. I could put, if I love something so much and I'm really proud of it and I put it out and everybody hates it, it's going to sting a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not changing it because I love it. But the, I, I think when you approach a project in that way, when you put that much love into it and that much attention and that much passion, that people, people aren't stupid. They get that when they see it. And I think if that passion's gone into it and that care and that attention, people will like it. There'll be, there'll be people that don't like it. There's people that I put off Shark and Man out and just don't get the idea of it at all like you see reviews and they've just missed it they've it's just gone over like over their head it sound that sounds really pretentious i don't mean it to sound over their head it's got the the um that's makes it sound like it's more cerebral than it is but they, they they've just not got the reason why the story is told as it is and that's fine that's fair enough and I, I don't normally read reviews. A few weeks back, my girlfriend was on bench. She sat reading all the bad reviews out to me. So, okay, you can stop doing that now. Like, this is one of the reasons why I don't really look at reviews. Like, <clears throat> it's funny. I can laugh at that bit. That was that, but okay, I've, I've kind of had enough now. You, you can stop reading the bad reviews. But predominantly, the reviews are good for things. And it's nice. It feels nice. I'm not going to lie. It does feel nice when people say nice things about your work. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, in the end, you're making films for other people. Yeah. It's, it's, um, tell me, just uh, for kind of people who are, who are starting up on, on their own now as well, for your early work, how did you actually finance stuff? The, it was, uh, Shark and Man was financed through uh, Tourism Fiji, who were just, they were incredible. Um, it was um, predominantly it was a lady called Jane West, who I will love and cherish for the rest of my life. This wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman. And she just bought into the project. And again, dive show. The, the whole thing of that, at this point, I hadn't found any way of financing it. I'd spent, I think it was, it was, um, it was about six months I'd spent, maybe maybe around a year with kind of like the real basis for six months of having quit my job and focused everything on it. Thousands and thousands of emails, phone calls, everything. Wasn't getting anywhere. Canon came in and Canon said, right, okay, this is when the big DSLR revolution was going on. And Canon were brilliant. They said, okay, we'll give you a seven day. Come down to... Um, the HQ down in, I think it's Higham. It's somewhere really nice down south. Um, come down, we'll give you a seven-day, shoot it on the seven-day. Amazing, it's brilliant. We've got Canon on board, that helped as well. When you say, okay, Canon are getting behind it, it gives a bit of credence to it. I was at the dive show in 2010, late 2010, the one in London. And the very, very last people I spoke to, little booth tucked away in the corner, uh, and it was Tories in Fiji. And I spoke to them about the idea, and they just kind of lit up about it. Oh, it's brilliant. We love the idea. This is fantastic. We're looking for something to this. Like, we're looking for more stories about the conservation work that's going on in Fiji because they don't shout about it. They're not a boastful people. So 
it'd be very easy for them to be changing the world and nobody knows about it because they're just not like that. And so that's the kind of the thing we don't like, no one's kind of going out and letting people know what's going on here. So this is great. The timing's brilliant. And then we had kind of meetings and change pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and she made it happen. She made it happen. Um, and I will be forever grateful. Jane West, the tourism Fiji changed my life completely changed my life. I owe her everything. Um, so they did that. And then there were, um, there was a like, ray of light. There's a ray of light too, which were self-funded. That was super, super shoestring budget. And they helped in a big way. And they helped in a big way because um, the subject was so engaging. It's a guy called Brad Robertson, brilliant on camera, charismatic, honest, genuine, passionate, believed in what he did. And he will sit down in front of a camera and he will just put himself on display in the most positive way possible. He's not putting himself on display because it's some performance. He wants to be a star. He does not want to be on camera ever. But his belief in what he's doing is that important that he will pour, he literally will pour himself out on camera. So he made these really engaging films with this great storyline that had a real positive feel to it, which kind of blew up and people were sort of taking notice. So I had a shark man in the works. I had them two going. And then it became a case then of people approaching me saying, oh, will you do this work for me? Will you do this? Will you do, um, will you film at this event? Will you film for so on and so on and so on and so on? And then the companies got bigger and the jobs got bigger. And you find yourself in that way of which I'm sure you find yourself at a part. What do I charge for this? The nerves always being, I've charged too much. They're going to say no. And then you make that mistake by underselling yourself and undervaluing yourself. And then it comes to the point where you realize you've got a value and then you start saying no. And it's no, it's, it's we can't do it for that. That's just, it's unreasonable. And then you start getting better quality clients, better quality work, better quality goes out. And then hey, press to Europe and rolling. And talking about financing things, um, we're currently in a process of trying to finance um, the second film in the Shackerman series, which the first one, I think the total budget for that was 23,000 all in 20, which is nothing. It's, it's literally pennies. Um, and we're looking at the budget now for the second one and it's three quarters of a million. So it's a big, big difference. And what I've learned as well, and this is going back to if I charge less, more people will hire me because I'm cheap. It doesn't work that way in, in kind of actual proper filmmaking because we will find that we put the budget, this is what it's going to cost. And we'll have people say, love that idea. Really interested in it. We would take it, but it's not the budget's low. We, we will only take projects one, two, three million plus. We don't deal with anything below a million. Anything, this doesn't make any sense, but that's kind of how it works. So we're navigating that. We were getting serious interest and then obviously COVID happened and it just shut down completely. So we need, we're getting the ball rolling on that again and trying to find that because we've got a very viable story that will need, that wants to be told properly. Uh, and we'll have a big audience as well. So work is starting on that again. It's just finding the money. It's out there. Just finding who's got it that's willing to give it to us. I was I was going to ask you what you would like to do next, but I think you've just answered that 
I guess that's that's your next big project. Yeah, the the idea was always Shark and Man was kind of a pilot. It was part one. I wanted to do a series of shark films that when I finished, when I was probably 80, that when I finished it, you go, that is the definitive document of the relationship between humans and sharks in the world. That's it. That there's nothing else that can kind of come out that, that will highlight anything that hasn't already been told. That's it. If you want to know about the relationship between sharks and humans, this series of film tells it you don't need to go anywhere else. That's always the goal. And obviously it takes a long time. I don't think the second one will take five years to do. Um, but it's, that's the goal. That's the key goal above everything else is that in, in that kind of professional sense, it is doing that and getting that completed because I, I'd happily never retire. I could win the lottery. I could make millions and millions and millions and millions. And what would I spend those millions on? I'd spend those millions on getting my camera and traveling around the world and filming sharks. So I might as well just do that anyway. And, and if you get paid to do it, even better. So it's, my life wouldn't change. Yeah. And what a fabulous life lifestyle to, to have too. I, I can't think of anything better really. That's Not for everybody. But, but no. some of us, we just love it. David, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to do this. I was going to talk to you more about sharks, but, but I think all, what we covered was, was just really nice. Yeah. Oh, feel free. Traveling. I've got the time. <laughs> I'm not allowed to go anywhere. So <laughs> I've got the time. Well, well, we'll do that another time. But for now, I think we'll wrap it there. And um, yeah, brilliant. Take care. Good luck with everything. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, absolute pleasure. And we'll catch up again sometime soon. Thanks very much. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers now. Bye. Bye.